Malachi chapter number 1. We've gone through the first 10, probably. We've heard from 10 of those uh, minor prophets that we looked at. And uh, as we saw those minor prophets, we looked through there and began to see the amazing things that uh, God had given to each and every one of them. And now as we look through to this one, we get to the last of the minor prophets, which is Malachi. That's the last book of the Old Testament. And of course, when you begin to look through that and you think that we're done, well, we know we still have one more. Uh, Zechariah is where we'll actually finish up and then Lord willing, we'll be able to do that next week. But uh, this has uh, just been placed on my heart as I studied through and began to read through the book of Malachi. So many things just came to light for me. And I love the fact that uh, it is of the love of God that all of these things are able and able to be made possible for each and every one of us. Uh, when we begin to look through the Word of God and we begin to see, and I'll be honest with you, I think we need to look for the love of God on every page of the Bible. Because if you look hard enough or if you look well enough, that you'll find the love of God there. You will find the love of God at every step of the way. And as I began to look through and, and got through to the book of Malachi and began to study these uh, minor prophets, I began to think, well, what in the world are we going to go and, and look at? Now, I'll be honest with you, everybody thinks of tithing when you begin to look at the book of Malachi. But also, I want you to just think about these things, these things that we do not know about Malachi. Would you believe that the only verse in the entire Bible that has the name Malachi in it is Malachi chapter number 1, verse number 1. Malachi is not mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. Malachi is not known. It is a a word that is known as my messenger. That is exactly what that name means. And we do know that by the Holy Spirit of God that this man was a a man that was giving the word of God completely out to uh, those people that were in need, the people of Jerusalem, those that were there. You say, well, when is the timeline of Malachi? Well, if you look through and you begin to go through the Word of God, you begin to see that uh, historically and then time-wise, you begin to look through there and and Ezra and Nehemiah have gone and the, the walls have been rebuilt by Nehemiah and the temple has been rebuilt and dedicated and Ezra's time has already gone by. And about a hundred years later, we begin to see Malachi begin to write what his word of from God is. And may I say this, it is a word from God. Every word of God, everything in the scripture, everything between these two uh, pieces of leather are uh, the word of God. I thank God that we have the complete word of God that's here, that's preserved for each and every one of us to know and for us to be able to understand. And I thank God that we have it. But when Malachi began to preach to these people, he said, I want to give God's word, not my own. So he mentions his name in the very first verse. He doesn't give his father's name. He doesn't give who, where he came from and what city he grew up in. It doesn't tell any information about himself. He simply goes into and says, look at this, verse number 1, chapter number 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. But look at verse number 2. I have loved you. I got excited right there. I got excited. I began to think, well, we could just stop right there because there's not a whole lot that we need to go further past because God is expressing his love to the people of Israel right here, right now. He's saying that I have loved you. 
And I can still say through the echoing through the portals of time, Brother Joel, that God is still telling you and me that I have loved you and I do love you and I care for you and I want the best for you. And as we begin to look through there, he says that I have loved you. But look at this. Saith the Lord, ye, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Wow. Can you believe that they would actually make an accusation like that? God, from the very get-go, Malachi absolutely says, listen, I don't have anything to say about myself, but I want to tell you about the Lord Jesus. I want to tell you about God Almighty and how gracious He is and how merciful He is and how wonderful He is and how He has loved you. Then they have the audacity to say, wherein hast thou loved us? Oh my, when you begin to look through those verses, there's actually eight uh, uh, accusations that the people of Israel begin to make. You go through those ones and, and he begins to say that I loved you no matter what and I loved you because of this and I've loved you. I have loved you, saith the Lord, yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Uh, was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord, yet I loved Jacob? He's saying that I'm proclaiming my love for you. I'm proclaiming what uh, you needed to have and the love that you needed to have in your life. And thank God that we have uh, what he's saying, I love you. But then we go through and we see uh, seven more of these situations, seven seven more of these. To be honest with you, they're kind of sarcastic questions. Wherein have you loved me? Have y'all ever had a sarcastic child? Mama, don't raise your hand unless you're talking about my sisters. And we know which one that would be. Don't point your finger, Missy. Have you ever had a sarcastic child that just asked questions and you thought, really, are you going to ask me that? I won't tell you which one of my boys it is. Oh, um, sorry. I narrowed it down for you, sorry. But we've had sarcastic. Actually, one of my boys actually owns a t-shirt that says sarcasm is my second language. And I believe that. But here we go through, we begin to see that uh, these sarcastic questions that are asked. Well, why would you ask a question like that? Look at verse number seven with me in chapter number one. It says, ye offered uh, polluted bread upon mine altar and ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? You say that we've done this, and you can believe that they're, can you believe that they're actually saying that? But he goes on in verse number 8, and he actually begins to call them out. This is what the Lord is, is, is calling them out and telling them, I want you to see these things. Look at this. And if ye offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not yet evil? And if ye offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor, uh, will, thy per, uh, or will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts. He's simply saying, listen, you're offering terrible things. You're giving terrible offerings to me. You're giving the sacrifices. Uh, what were they supposed to bring? They were supposed to bring the best of the best. They're supposed to bring the spotless ones. They're supposed to bring the ones that absolutely had no problems whatsoever. And yet, look what the accusation is, is you're bringing the lame ones to me. You're bringing the blind ones to me. You're bringing the the worst of the worst. You're going through and you're saying, uh, what can I get rid of? What can I give to God? Mm. What can I give to God that I don't really want anymore anyway? (laughs) 
Have y'all ever been part of a, I can't, help me Lord, I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this. Have y'all ever been part of a food drive? And you're, you, people say, go home. <laughs> y'all are already laughing because y'all been part of it. Go home and get uh, some food and, and make sure that you grab something for the people that we're going to make this food pantry. We're going to be really good and everything's going to go go together and, and make sure that you get the best of the best and you go home and you go through your pantry and you figure out, now what is it that I don't want anymore? I don't even know if them beanie weenies are still... Within the date, but I'll give this to them. Or how about this one? Spam. (laughs) Spam. Oh, no, somebody's saying, praise God, I I like that. You go through, you get your spam, and you're you're thinking, hey, I'll get my spam out, and and that way they don't have to worry about it, and and, and I don't really want that. But I'm going to be honest with you. When we give like these people were given to God, or if we give like that, we give our... Spam and our SpaghettiOs, whatever y'all don't like all that much. And you say, boy, we're not giving our best to God. And that's not pleasing. That's not pleasing to God. But then you look through, look at verse number six with me. I skipped one, I'm sorry. Look at verse number six and it says, And a son honoreth his father and servant his master. If then, if I be a father, wherein thou hast honored me? And if I be a master, where is thy fear? Saith the Lord of hosts, O priest that despise my name, ye say, wherein have, ye, have we despised thy name? How have we made bad things? How have we said something bad about your name? How have we said something about this? Wherein have we polluted you? Look and go over to chapter number 2, verse number 13 with me. We're going through these little eight sarcastic questions real quick. Verse number 13 in chapter number 2, it says, In this ye have done again, covering uh, the altar of the Lord with tears and weeping and with, with crying out, insomuch that he regardeth not the offering any more, or receiveth it with good will at your hand. Yet ye say, Wherefore? Why? Why are you not accepting my offers anymore? Because your offerings are not what they're supposed to be. Because of uh, these things that are happening. Look at verse number 17 with me. Chapter number 2, verse number 17. And ye have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet ye say, wherein have we wearied him? And look at what God's response is. When ye say, every one that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delighteth in them. Or where is the God of judgment? Can we say right now, today... Everybody, everyone is saying that if, if, if they're doing evil, then it must be good. Where's the God of judgment now? Where is he going to... I can tell you that he is coming. You find the remainder in chapter number 3. Skip over to chapter number 3 when we look at verse number 7. The Bible says, Even from the days of your fathers you are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, Wherein shall we return? Why? Where do you want us to go? We're here, we're already doing what you've told us to do. We're following the statutes that you told us to do. We're going to church when you tell us to. We're doing the sacrifices. Oh my. Look at verse number 8 and chapter number 3 as well. Will a man rob God? Yet ye say, yet ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? God says in tithes and offerings. 
Look at verse number 13. It's the very last one. Chapter number 3 and verse number 13. Your words have been stout against me. You're speaking against me again, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? It's amazing to me that these people were recording these, or that God recorded these things, and these people were giving these sarcastic uh, answers and responses to God as he calls the people out uh, through the uh, prophet of Malachi. And he uh, is going through, and I'll, I'll be honest with you, remember that this is a message from God. I've already said that. In this little book, it's only four chapters. It's 55 verses. But if you count through them, look at this with me and, and go home. You can check me. I believe I got this right. I've counted them out that in first person from God, the Lord himself is speaking 47 out of 55 verses. So he is definitely speaking during this book. He goes through and he begins to find this. We find that 25 times, thus saith the Lord is used. So many times, 11 times, it says that ye say. But can you believe the audacity of these people? Can you believe that they would ask such a question like this or they had uh, turned to a, a way that they had felt as if God was too hard for them, that God's walls were uh, too difficult and it was uh, too, too difficult for them to do that. By the way, the Word of God says that it's not too difficult for you. It's okay. God's laws are not too hard. And as I read through this book several times, if I've read through there, I could just uh, uh, loose from uh, the opening words of this prophecy. And what is it? Look back with me. Chapter number one, verse number two. I have loved thee. I have loved you, saith the Lord. He's saying, when you despised my name, I loved you. When you brought sick and lame and blind and and insufficient sacrifices to me, I loved you. I still loved you. And when you asked why I didn't receive your offering, I I didn't come back at you. I loved you. I continued to love you. When you wearied me with your much speaking of things that didn't matter, I still loved you. And when you rejected my plea for you to return to me, I still loved you. When you robbed me, I still loved you. When you spoke against my name, I still loved you. That's amazing to me. And through this very amazing lens that we look through, the lens of love is pretty much what we have. The lens of love is every step of the way as we look through this. As it's the love of God, the Old Testament. You begin to look at this and in Genesis chapter number 1, uh, you begin to see that a man is there in a the garden and he's in a perfect will of God and he is free from sin and he is right in the midst of the love of God. But by the time, Brother John, you get to the end of the Old Testament, you're under a curse. You're under a problem. You're under an issue uh, that you're fallen man. You have fallen men that are miserable and they're in the middle of sin and they're unhappy. And it opens with paradise, but there it closes with a curse. Yet there's something that still remains. (laughs) Hallelujah. Yet there's one thing that still remains. The love of of God. Boy, there may be problems and it may be issues in through all our life, but yet the love of God still remains. And I begin to look through there and, and, and begin to see that uh, how is it possible that the love of God could continue no matter what's going on uh, in this life? How is it? Because Malachi chapter number three, verse number six, I got it big circled in my Bible. It says, for I am the Lord, I change not, therefore ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. 
I change not. How is it that the love of God can stay so consistent? Because He doesn't change. How is it that I can continue to be in the love of God no matter what's happening in, in, in this world? Because the God that I serve does not change. And we look through that. And I want you to look at this with me. And we see in Malachi chapter number 1, verse number 2. I know I keep going back to that verse. And I'm going to try to hurry tonight. But I'm not going to stress myself over it. But look at verse number 2. I have loved you, saith the Lord. I want you to know who the proclamation is from. Boy, there's the affection of the Lord. It's not anybody else that's saying that I loved you. It's not the government government that's saying I loved you. It's not the, the people of the sports world that's saying I love you. Or it's not even the family that's telling you, hey, I love you no matter what. Mm, glory to God. But you think about that for a minute. That, boy, family's love, it can be going, it can go back and forth. And it seems like that love is a very fickle thing. But thank God that the Word of God and the love of God is consistent every step of the way. That we don't have to worry. When we mess up, we don't have to worry whether God's going to love me anymore. Because He still loves me and He still cares for me. And He still wants to bring me back and to wrap me up into His arms of love. The affection of the Lord is absolutely amazing to me. And we could, honestly, we could really go home right now, say amen and be alright because the love of God, boy, that's it. That's all. That's all we have to really worry about. But the love of God is such a vast volume that we begin to go through and that we could be, we could be here for hours and we could, and I won't be, trust me, we could be here for hours just listening to things about the love of God. I, I wrote down a few verses and I want to read them to you. Romans chapter number 8. Verse 39, everybody knows that verse. Romans chapter number 8, verse number 39, it says, Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah, amen, glory to God. There's no separation from the love of God. 2 Corinthians chapter number 13, verse number 14 says it this way. The grace of the Lord Jesus and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Ghost be with you all. Amen. Man, that's Paul telling the Corinthians, I want the love of God to be with you. I want the fellowship of the Holy Spirit of God and communion with the Holy Spirit of God. Then we get to 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 8. The very last part of that says, uh, He that loveth not, not, uh, not knoweth, uh, knoweth not God, but yet for God is love. We go through the love of God and we begin to see it's just part of His character. It's who He is. You know, there's some things that you just can't get. I heard a long time ago, uh, I heard a long time ago, Brother Joe, that said that you can take the boy out of the country, but you can't take the country out of the boy because it's just part of who they are. There's some things that we have been raised, that we have been taught, that we just know that there's, Brother Shane, there's no way that we can get out of that because it's ingrained in us. It's part of our character. And that's exactly what the love is. That's what exactly what love is for God, that it's His character. My goodness, if we just know that how He loves us, and, and boy, what a love that He has. He has a love. How is it displayed? We begin to say, look through and say, how is it displayed? Well, First John chapter number 3, verse number 16. Not John 3, 16, but First John chapter number 3, verse number 16 says it this way. Hereby perceive we the love of God. Why? Because He laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for His brethren. Glory to God. That's how I can see the love of God on display. Because He promised His Son. Because He sacrificed His Son. Because He gave His Son for our sins. Praise the Lord. 
You go further, it says in 1 John chapter number 4, verse number 9, 1 John 4, 9, it says, And this was manifested the love of God towards us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might through Him, glory to God, we can be saved because of that, that we might live through Him. Boy, the display of love, His display towards sinners though. Now aren't you glad that He displayed His love towards you even when you were a sinner? Romans chapter number 5, verse number 8 is of one that you probably all know <laughs> by heart. But God commended His love towards us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That word uh, commendeth, it means to display, to be able to put it on display, to show it, to, to make sure that you can see it, to actually set it up as high as you can. And that's what he's saying, that I have done this for you, I have commended my love towards you. And then in Titus chapter number 3, verse number 3 and 4, Titus chapter number 3, verse number 3 and 4 says, For we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving diverse lusts and pleasures, living in malice and in envy, hateful, and hating one another. Boy, that's a rough, rough, rough group of people. But after that, the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared. Glory to God, hallelujah. Even in the midst of all that, even when we were sinners and how He knew that we were living in malice and how He knew he was, we would live in sin. But thank God that He gave us His love no matter what. But then thank God that He gives His love not only to the sinner, but He gives His love and displays His love to the saint. He doesn't stop showing His love just because you get saved. <laughs> hallelujah. I'm starting to enjoy myself. Praise God. Boy, the enjoying the saint. John chapter number 17, verse number 23. John chapter 17, verse number 23 says, I in them and thou in me, that, thou may, uh, that they may uh, be made perfect in me, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me, and thou hast loved me as thou hast loved me. So wonderful that he's showing that to us. And in Second Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 16, I know I'm loading you down with Scripture, but if I can't show the love of God in Scripture, I'll never be able to show you the love of God. Second Thessalonians chapter number 2, verse number 16, Now our Lord Jesus Christ Himself and God, even our Father, which hath loved us and hath given us everlasting consolation and good hope through grace. Boy, that's the love that God has put on display for us. Man, His desire, would you believe it? Now, check this out. This amazes me. The only thing, Brother Steve, that He asks in return is that you love me. For us to receive that, to be able to... And, and you don't even have to, have to do that. He just desires that he would, we would love Him. Deuteronomy 11 says this in verse number 1, Therefore thou shalt love the Lord thy God and keep His charge, His statutes and His judgments and His commandments alway. Matthew 22, chapter number 22, verse number 37 says this in Jesus speaking, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Love is what it's all about. The affection of the Lord is exactly what he's saying. He doesn't ask us for perfection. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Thank you. He doesn't ask us to be perfect. He doesn't ask us to be uh, the perfect person or the perfect thing. But he asks us to love him. And may I say this, that the more you love him, the more you want to act like him. And the less you're going to have to say, oh me. 
Continue to love him. But then also, I want you to look, go to chapter number 3 with me. Malachi chapter number 3, verse number 6. We've already read this verse, but I want to hit it. But also, I have not only the affection of the Lord, but we also have the assurance of the Lord. What is the assurance? For I am the Lord, I change not, therefore the sons of Jacob are not consumed. I'll be honest with you, there's something to be said about dependability. And if you know somebody that's just, you've depended on someone, and they haven't come through for you, you know exactly the importance of that statement that I'm making. There's something to be said for dependability. But thank God that when we look at this verse, I see dependability all over. I see that God is one that we can depend on. God is one that we can absolutely know that's going to be steadfast for each and every one of us. I wanted to look. I got excited. I really got excited when studying this because I want you to look at the assurance of the Lord is this. That very first phrase of that, that, that verse in verse number 6, it says, For I am the Lord, I change not. Okay, y'all know that I, I love to do word studies. So I begin to dig in and begin to see uh, what is going on about these words and what are these words saying. And, and, and I begin to look, I is the, the, in the first person. It's me, God's talking to himself. I am the Lord. And then it goes, it says, and he says, the Lord. And that's uh, uh, Jehovah, that is the self-existent one. <laughs> that means I don't have to, de- <laughs> you have to depend on me, but I don't have to depend on you. Hallelujah, I'm getting excited again. I, I, I don't have to depend on anybody else or outside things. I don't have to depend on time. I don't have to depend on space. I don't have to depend on anything. God Almighty says, I am the one. I am self-existent. I am the one that's perfect. I am the one that doesn't change. And I begin to look through and it says, and I change not. And I begin to study those words. And what do those words mean? It, doesn't, it says it means that I do not alter. I do not disguise myself. Now, you say, well, Brother Shane, that doesn't really mean all that much to me. Well, if God were to change, and I put it in this perspective, if God were to change, that implies imperfection. Think about that for a moment. If God has to change, that because that means that he has to change because something is not right. Getting a little too deep, I guess. The imperfection is not of God. God is not imperfect. God is a perfect person. As a matter of fact, if, if, if it changes to that which is a, a more perfect thing or a less perfect thing, uh, something has to be t- wrong with that being for in order for it to need to change. But Brother James, I serve a God. Hallelujah. That does not need to change. No matter what's going on in my life, I may think that, boy, there's a lot of things that's going wrong. And this world is, I'll I'll be honest with you, it's crazy. But I can tell you this, that God is still on the throne. And God is still in control. And God still knows what's happening. And God still knows what needs to happen. And God is perfect in every one of His ways. And He doesn't need to change. So therefore, He doesn't have to change. So therefore, He says, I'm not going to change. Because there's nothing about me that needs to change. That's the God we serve. That's the wonderful one that gave himself for us. Perfect one. The perfect one. And that very first word, for. Because. 
Because I am perfect. Because I am holy. Because I love you. Because I'm never going to change. Because I do not need to change anything about myself. That's the God that we serve. But then look a little further in that verse. It shows me this. That with the assurance of the Lord, I have security. How is that? Therefore, ye sons of Jacob are not consumed. Now, I... I don't need to change because I'm perfect. And because of that, you are secure. How is it that we are secure? Because the salvation that God has given to us is perfect. And it doesn't need to change. The the way that God has sealed us, it doesn't need to change because God has sealed us. The way that he has adopted us. He doesn't need to change because he has adopted us perfectly. He has done all these things. Mankind would have grown weary of the waywardness and the sinfulness of the man. Uh, that, but, but, but then we would have wanted to change the man. And man uh, would have given up on sinful man. But God, in his unchanging love, in his unchanging way, in his unchanging uh, mercy and grace that he has given to us, he is sitting by and he's waiting for the repentance of mankind. He's waiting for you. Thank God that I was only a six-year-old little boy. But hey, I wonder how many of people that were here this morning or here this evening that were here a little longer, they didn't get saved at six or ten or twelve. Maybe it was twenty. Maybe it was thirty. Maybe it was forty or fifty. But thank God, God didn't just get weary of you. He kept on giving that repentance to you. He kept giving that, that way of repentance to you. He gave that door. And now that we are saved, we are secure in what He has done for us. But then also, look at, look at lastly, look at lastly, and, and we'll go through. Now, you're going to love this. I'm going to skip verse 10. And those of you that know what verse 10 is, that's why you're laughing. When I'm going to skip verse number 10, I'm going to go to verse number 16. Look at Malachi chapter number 3, verse number 16. Look at the admiration of the Lord. Then they feared the Lord. Uh, then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord. And that thought upon his name. Look at verse number 17. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Now, I'll be honest with you, when we begin to look through from chapter number 3, verse number 6, we go through and we've skipped a little bit of area. What is that area? That area is simply the tithing, the tithe that's supposed to be given to us. As a matter of fact, I back up a little further, and there's three ministries, there's three ways that God has really worked on us, and God has given to us uh, this way. What is it? It's ministry. The ministry that the priests were giving, the ministry that priests were doing was unsatisfactory because they were offering unsatisfactory uh, sacrifices. Another one that's very difficult to deal with, another one that's very difficult to deal with even in this day, but Malachi hit it nail on the head and God, that does not change, still says that he's dealing with marriage as well. Marriage that begins to take place and then also he deals with the other, the last, the third one that he really deals with is our money. What is the money? You don't want to talk about my money. Now, I'll be honest with you. I have been told this a long time ago, and I believe this with all my heart, so I have repeated it. Show me your calendar, 
Show me your checkbook and I'll show you what is important to you. Show me the calendar that you live by and the checkbook that you write. Now, I'll be honest with you. Some of you younger people don't even know what checkbooks are. I hardly ever use a checkbook any myself as well. But you remember when you used to have to go through and you begin to write, you know, what I spent and what I spent. And then thank God on a Friday, you might get a little more money and you just prayed that you didn't have to write that next number in red. Yes, I was the only one that ever had to do that. But he's dealing with our money. Verse number 7, 8, 9, 10, he talks about a man robbing God. He begins to tell him to challenge me, to go forth. In verse number 12, it says, And all nations shall call you blessed for those ones that are giving to the Lord, for ye shall be the delight of some land, some of the Lord of the host. Look at verse number 13. And your words have been stout against me, saith the Lord, ye that say, or yet ye say, what have we spoken so much against thee? Verse 14. And ye have said, it is vain to serve the Lord, and what profit is it that we have kept his ordinances, and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the proud happy, yea, they that walk, uh, work wickedness uh, are set up, and yea, they that tempt God are even delivered. Seems like everything's going right for them. The people of the world, the ones that are not. But then uh, there's a stark change in subject. Verse number 16. Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts. Glory to God. In that day when I make up my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. What is the start change? He's going and he's talking about the world in those verses, number 7 all the way down to 15, but then 16 he begins to talk. I want you to know the key phrase. What is it? And They that fear the Lord. A little further on in verse number 16, it says, them that fear the Lord. In the latter part of that chapter, God is turning his attention to a special group of people. Whether you realize it or not, if you are a born-again child of God, you are special. You have the blessings of God upon your life. I remember when I was 16 years old, 15 years old, I wanted to get a truck and dad said, well, you need a job before you get a truck. And thank God for that. Then I was provided by some family members, Brother Earl, my, my brother-in-law, he started to help me out. He was able to hand me the keys to a Mazda B2000, 1978, the same year I was born. It had been sideswiped. It had a few issues, but me and my dad, we started getting together. We started working. We started working with some other people, and I worked a deal out, and I made the, got through with some new things and, and got inside the upholstery redone because I painted somebody's business or, or their basement. I hate painting to this day. And then we go through. We replace the door. We replace the front fender. We replace the entire bed with through help of the family. They, they, we, we got that thing looking right, and, and I've told you all before that we called it, Heather called it the phantom because it smoked so bad. 
it looked like the phantom there at night, especially. I'll be honest with you, sometimes I was really afraid of that. And I told y'all as well that that's why, I, that's why I drove Mandy's car. She had the brand new Firebird when I went to pick up Heather. And then I, sometimes I, I wasn't real proud, but I was kind of afraid that what people would think of my little truck. And to be honest with you, Brother Tag, now I wish I had that little truck back. I could put... $10 of gas in it and drive for two and a half weeks, glory to God. Of course, it'd probably be $40 now, but but I want you to look at what God is saying. Sometimes we think we're not so proud of some things, but look what he's saying. And they shall be mine. Those that fear the Lord. Them that fear the Lord. They shall be mine. And the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up, this blesses me every time I read it, when I make up my jewels. Now, jewels are very important and very costly, very amazing things that we keep in jewelry boxes and we keep them in safe places. We put them sometimes in safes. We make sure that they're in a safe place. And God is saying that those people that feared me, those people that loved me, those ones that I love, I'm not ashamed of them. Come on. Come on. Think about that. Those that love me and, and have accepted my son, and that's what he's saying to us now. I'm not ashamed of them. They're my jewels. They're my pride and joy. <laughs> that's what, I, boy, I'm telling you, you look at that, and God's not ashamed to call these people, these faithful ones, his own. They are his jewels. They are a peculiar treasure. They are a, a personal property of God. I, I have a t-shirt, I, I taught on this many, many years ago, but that word uh, peculiar is, is from a Latin word, peculium. The peculium actually means this. Peculium actually means that, uh, that it, it's applied in, in many different settings, but a private possession is the, the main facility. It says that I, that is my property. These shoes that I have, they're my property. I own them. This suit that I have on, glory to God, it's paid for. It's not even on layaway anymore. Hallelujah. <laughs> we have a suit. It's my property. It's my peculium. You know what God is saying about my jewels? That's my peculium. That's my prized possession. Those are the ones that I'm very proud of. Those are the ones that, glory to God, hallelujah. I thank God that I am counted among the ones that are His peculium. I am so glad that I am the one that is, I am among the ones that is His prized possession. The one that He loves and He wants to put on display. And thank God that we have that. Ephesians even tells us that we go through and Ephesians 1 says that you're chosen and you're adopted and you're accepted and you're redeemed and you are forgiven and you are sealed. You know what every one of those words has to do with? Possession. 
Hallelujah. Glory to God. Every one of those has something to do with the fact that He owns us. We're not bought, praise God, with, it, with, with, with Cracker Jacks. We're not bought with anything else, but we're bought with the prized possession of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're bought with the blood of Jesus Christ, the highest price that could ever be paid. Thank God. He said that, hey, you're worth it. You're worth dying for. You're worth it so I can have a relationship with you. Thank God that we are His prized possessions. The jewel that he will make up someday. And when is that day? When is the day that he's going to make up his jewels? And I will spare them the day that in that day, once again, we look down a portal of time. We're not looking past this little portion of scripture where uh, it's right there. We're looking far beyond even what we have seen take place right now. We're looking forward to what pastor has been preaching to us about. This is what he's talking about in that day when I make up my jewels. I know I need to hurry, uh, but you think about this. What do we put those loved ones? What do we place them in? A coffin. And we take them down and we plant them there in that place. Do you know the first rule of, uh, the fir- rule of first mention? Where's the first mention of coffin? It's when we put Joseph's bones and they brought them out. You know what that translates as? A treasure box. A treasure box. Glory to God. So what do we put in treasure boxes? Our jewels, our treasures. Thank God that what's God saying that one day, boy, you think that it may be a graveyard, it may be a terrible place or a scary place, but not to the child of God. It is ground for resurrection. It's when the day that the shout from the Lord Jesus Christ comes and that trump of God sounds that all of a sudden we're going to rise. Glory to God. Those that are dead have already going to be rising. And then those of us that are still here, are going to rise with them and meet the Lord in the air. Praise God. We're looking to a beautiful day where God makes up His jewels. The promise comes with benefits. Look at the last of that verse. Malachi chapter number 3, verse number 17. The last of the verse says, I will make up my jewels and I will spare them. (laughs) Hallelujah. Hallelujah. If you want to go through the tribulation, I'm sorry, you don't get to. If you've been trusted Christ as your Savior, you don't get to. Because whether you like it or not, Brother Steve, whether we like it or not, when He calls, we're gone. And that promise comes with that benefit of, I will spare you. I will never step foot in any part of a tribulation. Why? Because God has promised Malachi chapter number 3, verse number 17, I will spare them as a son, as a man that spareth his own son that serveth him. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, even Jesus which delivered them from the wrath to come. See, I, I want you to, I want to close, I, I got to close here, but look, verse chapter number 4, I won't read, I won't preach through all of it, but look at this, it's six verses. And I want you to take note At the end of those six verses, what is the very last word? Curse. Malachi chapter number four, verse number six. So how does the entire Old Testament close? The last word, curse. 400 years of silence. And the last word they hear is curse. But Dr. Harper, 
400 years later, a man is serving in the temple. My name is Zacharias. And the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, you're going to have a son. You and your wife are going to have a son. That man was known later on as John the Baptist. By the way, if you go home and you read through Malachi chapter number 3, verse number 1, the, prophet, the prophecy of John the Baptist is found. Chapter number 3, verse number 1, right there. Then just a few months later, a little girl by the name of Mary gets another visit. and says, you're going to have a little boy, the son of God. And when the Old Testament op- closes with curse, curse. Curse. The New Testament opens with a promise of the one that is going to take the curse away. Why is that all realized? Because one, chapter one, verse two, I have loved you. You may have a curse right now, but there's coming a day. Thank God. That Jesus has come. 